0: one hey you guys welcome to another thrilling edition of the scottish liberty podcast number 150 already oh my god with 150. our most recurring with our most recurring guest as i'm told keith preston all the way from america keith from attack the are you still attacking the system keith
1: yeah, I, I'm doing it while we're all under mars- medical martial law right now. So, yeah, it's still, it's still rolling. Okay, How do you attack the
2: system under the cloud of martial law?
1: Yeah, uh, medical martial law. I, what, what's interesting about this is um, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Thomas Zaz's, uh concept of the therapeutic state. Have you ever uh, delved into the work of Dr. Thomas Saz? I know, being libertarians, I'm sure you'd find him very, very interesting because, uh, okay. he, yeah, Dr. yeah, Dr. Thomas Saws he was a psychiatrist who was a maverick psychiatrist, and uh, back in, and he's deceased now. But uh, back in the 1960s and 70s, he wrote quite a few, and 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 more recently than that, he wrote quite a few books where he really tore apart the mental health professions. He was very uh, right. critical of the med, of the mental health professions as well as the medical establishment. But what he argued was that modern states are becoming what he called therapeutic states, like he compared it to theocracy. He said that in the medieval world, you had theocratic states where if they wanted to uh, keep you from uh, saying, saying what they didn't want you to say, they would simply say you were a heretic and burn you at the stake or something like that, or you were an enemy of God or, or something like that. Uh, but he said, now in, in our modern secular democracies, the, the uh, they, they've switched from theocracy to therapeutism, where uh, someone who is uh, an enemy of the state is simply declared to be medically unfit or psychologically unfit. Um, one of the uh, things he had in mind was the old Soviet model, where in the Soviet Union, yeah, somebody was a, a political dissident. They would say, well, this person is clearly mentally ill. No problem. We'll fix them. We'll put them in a, a psychiatric prison and you know drug them to. Uh, with uh Paldol and psychotropics uh but but za said in the western world there was a, a you know a, a milder version of that as well where you would frequently see people who are uh, who have unfavorable views simply being um, labeled as mentally ill or sick and how how medicine and psychiatry were being used as a method of social control where because uh, you can you can uh you can actually incarcerate people that are considered uh, mentally unsound, but who gets to to decide who is mentally unsound? For for instance, at the end of of World War II, they declared uh, Ezra Pound to be crazy, you know, simply because he was a fascist by political uh, affiliation, and they incarcerated him in a psychiatric hospital for, I think, 12 years or something like that. Uh, And uh, Foucault, Michel Foucault, actually did some interesting work on this too, where he talked about the use of medicine and, and, uh, you know, as a means of, of political control. And we, we see that going yeah. on right now. You know, right now, today, we're living through medical martial law. You know, It's, yeah. it's all for our own yeah. good. You know, it's all for our own good. Oh, hey. right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and just as the old saying goes, um, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. Right,
1: but right. Just, yeah.
2: Just because you're completely mental doesn't mean that the state isn't an abomination and a blight and a parasite upon the productive centers of Society, so I'm happily mental and happily an anarchist.
0: Well, yeah. well, it, well I mean, I'm,
1: go, go ahead, Tom. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I, it interests me that that concept of um, of the state, you know, making uh, dissidents, you know, turning them into sort of medical cases, because then instead of finding you guilty of some particular thought crime or state crime, and then sentencing you. When, when it's a mental illness, you know, like, oh, why why wouldn't this guy love this uh, utopian state we've got? He's clearly mental ill. When it's a mental illness, you, you remain in that state until they decide that you're cured. Yes. Right. So that could be indefinite, you know? Yes. And, yes. and
2: one of the very famous studies that you come across in the psychological literature is when they did an experiment, I think this was in the 60s, where a bunch of perfectly normal people got themselves admitted to mental hospitals as part of an experiment by saying they were hearing voices saying things like hollow, empty, and thud. And they just went about their normal business once admitted, and the average number of days before any of them got released was 47 days. I think one of them was in there for about 163 days, and the psychiatrists in the mental hospitals were interpreting completely normal things that they did as symptomatic of their mental illness. For example, they would come to lunch early because they were bored. So they'd say, oh, this is obviously a case of them being uh, orally fixated, you know, Freud or something like that. They would um, just interpret their behaviors as sign of, signs of their illness, and that um study was obviously very shocking to a lot of people but i fear that not much has changed in psychiatry since then
0: you know there was a follow-up to that where he um the same guy because they dismissed it as a stunt and they dared him to do it again they said you know um do this again and we promise you we'll, we'll we'll find the the imposters we'll find these people that you've planted so he said okay let's go ahead let's do it so about a a couple of months later, they paraded these uh, people in front of the cameras that they said were, you know, the the, the twelve, uh, you know, infiltrators. And the guy went, "I didn't send anybody, you know."
2: Oh, <laughs> <man>.
0: <laughs> yeah, this, so it was, yeah, that was a, that was quite a famous
1: one. Yep. Yeah. So, well, um, yeah, if you look at the history of medicine and psychiatry and, and those kinds of disciplines you see that there's been just as much as abuse of those disciplines as there have of anything else, politics, you know, any of these other institutions uh, which often gets lost, you know, it's uh, there. I I know I've known some uh, anarchists in the past that would refer to the medical industry as the white coat priesthood because Mm. it's like they're considered these revered experts that, uh, you know, we're supposed to heed their wisdom. And then they have powers uh, that other people don't have. You know, they can, Decide who gets what drugs and who gets what kind yep. of uh, medical treatment and that kind of stuff, but you can also see a lot of um, uh, perniciousness in that. You know, like uh, I've I've always been interested in the example of people like Dr. Walter Freeman, uh, the lobotomist. You know, he, he would lobotomize four-year-old children by sticking an ice pick under their eye socket and severing their their frontal uh, temporal, temporal lobe. You can find documentaries about him online. Dr. Walter Freeman. He was the sort of the godfather of lobotomies. Uh, or they, the way that they thought that uh, being gay was something that they could use electric shock therapy to cure you of. Right. Yep. So, they would, so they would show you pornography and hook you up to a battery and electric shock you. you know, so um, if you're, yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. And even now, you know, I obviously work in mental health and I'm very skeptical of psychiatry. And one of the reasons why is none of these conditions are anything that you can point to in the brain. They're there's not something that you could say. Right here's the physical, sim- the physical symptoms of schizophrenia. When you look at the DSM, they're basically arrived at by consensus. So a bunch of psychiatrists get together and say, well, if someone has six out of these twelve symptoms, then they're bipolar. Or if they or they're schizophrenic, or they're they've got BPD and, and so and what have you. And the interesting thing is, you could have two people. With the opposite half of the symptoms one has one sex one has the other sex let's say and they're both called schizophrenic even though the illness the mental illness that they have is completely different they've got completely different symptoms so it's very arbitrary and for some people in some cases having a label is a little bit helpful because they can go all right well this is what i'm dealing with so this is how i need to mitigate for for it um, and I can appreciate that. But for the main part, we are taught to believe in this as though it's scientific, as though it's empirical, and it's as empirical as any other it's science, but of course, it is. I'm, I'm very sorry to say the psychiatric field has a lot to answer for. Um, I've had so many people come to me and say, you know, for, for therapy, and th- if anyone was treated badly by a professional in the mental health field, it's almost always a psychiatrist that fucked them up. I had one case where a woman, this was quite a long time ago, but nonetheless, she went and told the psychiatrist that her partner was you know, physically violent with her. And he picked up the phone and phoned up her partner there in front of him to check out her story. It's like it was in the '90s, but it's like you couldn't make this shit up. You know, it's it's like it's 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 so horrific. I've had other bad stories as well, but I don't want to um, hog the mic. So, yeah. but what I mean, the only thing I mean to say is they're they're afforded this status on the, oh, they're a doctor and they've got the right to um, write prescriptions and things like that when they're not even trained as counsellors, so they they often zero bedside manner whatsoever. I wouldn't want to send anyone into their hands personally,
1: well, if you're interested in these topics, you've got to do- check out Thomas Saz, because he wrote uh, dozens okay. of books where he described exactly what you're talking about. He talked about how his most famous book came out in 1961. It's called The Myth of Mental Illness. Right. And, he argue- and he argued exactly what you're saying. He said that mental illnesses are not the same thing as diseases like cancer. Because they're not organic, uh, they are—they're right. not something that you can actually, you know, if if somebody has cancer, you can actually do tests and determine whether they have cancer. You can do X-rays and see they have tumors and things like that. Um, but with mental illnesses, it's it's a more subjective—you uh, know—the person is is, mm-hmm. is thinking in a way that is, you know, seemingly abnormal or at least not like most other people, or which is causing them problems or something like that. But that's not the same thing as an organic disease, like say yeah. syphilis or. or cancer or whatever yeah. um, and, of course, and, and, he, and as far as the power of psychiatrists and mental health professionals he talks about that as well he talks about how you know they they uh they would give all, come up with all these weird diagnoses for things that are just based on arbitrary standards and uh, use toxic medications as a, as a supposed treatment right. and things like that
2: yeah and and of course one of his yeah. contemporaries was famous scottish um psychologist rd lang yeah yeah,
1: yeah, uh,
2: also part of the anti-psychiatry movement but yeah i mean the number of people who go into mental institutions and are given drugs they are sometimes for taking drugs sometimes they took drugs recreationally and did something stupid and then they get put in a mental hospital and given more drugs and they come out worse than they go in
1: well well, another example is that is the way they treat heroin addiction with methadone so they just give them one opium substitute for another whole theatre
0: yeah i think fairness is worth mentioning rd lang uh you know was fairly off the mark as well with some of the stuff he was yeah. he, he was doing i think the point is it's not just psychiatry we, we're, we're in a stage where you know keith's right it's the it's, it's, the, it's the white coat priesthood and you're know, in the medical profession you know the ordinary uh, gps are, are the same we had the situation uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Keith, but Anthony will remember, it was maybe two three years ago, we had a kid in the hospital here in the UK who um, the doctors had written off and said, you know, he, he's, he had leukemia or, or some cancer-related disease. And the parents wanted to take the kid out of the hospital and take it to the Czech Republic for some groundbreaking new treatment that was available there. And the doctors would not allow them to take their own kid out of the hospital. They would ruled that this was unsafe, and uh, they were not allowed to do it. And the state weighed in, uh, the courts and the state weighed in, backed them up. They basically cordoned off the hospital with uniformed policemen so that the, 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 the people couldn't get their kid out of the hospital. Eventually, they, they got their kid out, but they were charged um, with kidnapping their own child. and there was a a hunt you know like a nationwide hunt looking for these people but they managed to get the kid out they took him to Czech Republic and lo and behold the treatment that the the Czechs gave the kid actually worked even after it being dismissed they wouldn't even allow these people to try it and that's you know that's the the medical profession going way beyond beyond their bounds and I I quipped at the time you know because people were saying well you know these people they went against the advice of their doctor well that's like saying you went against the advice of your hairdresser, right. you know, yes. or went yeah. against the advice of your tailor. Yeah, you know, okay, it can be, it can turn out somewhat more serious. But at the end of the day, these health professionals are only advisors.
2: Or at you know, least they not, should they're, be.
0: They're, they're they're not God Almighty, and that kind right. of segs right. quite nicely into what we the situation we're in at the moment. With you know, there's get one group of health. Uh, Professionals on the one side, another group on the other, who are with the government, and the the it wildly fluctuates as to what they think's going to be the the, the best uh, the best form of treating this. Now, it's we all know what the problems are, and we all know what the problems are going to be. But I just wondered, Keith, if you have any examples, maybe from anarchist history or in any communes, where they face these kind of things. And did they have any, did any solutions transpire from those, from, from those instances where, you know, you could treat this? I mean, how do anarchists treat this particular situation? Uh,
1: you mean the current situation with the COVID-19? With The COVID, yeah, and the lockdown, yeah. Well, uh, historically, we, yeah. uh, this kind of thing is, is not abnormal. Uh, historically there have always been epidemics of serious illnesses where people that have it have to be quarantined or or whatever. Um, it, it, we actually live in unusual times and that we're not really accustomed to things like this, but in past times, yeah. they, they did have plenty of this. I know in my grandmother's generation, she, she was born in 1911. And uh, when she was growing up, people would get tuberculosis and polio and, and, um uh, uh Even things like uh, strep throat, which back then was much more serious because there weren't as many treatments for it. So often people that had these kind of illnesses, they would quarantine uh, either the individual or even the household. I mean, I know elderly people today that recall when they were kids, their house got quarantined for two weeks because somebody there had tuberculosis or something like that. Right. Uh, So that kind of thing is not as familiar to people, you know, our age and younger, because we didn't, we grew up at a time when there was more treatments for illnesses and quarantines weren't as common. But historically, there have been plenty of them. But I don't know that it's really a state versus non-state thing. If you had some kind of utopian anarchist commune or some kind of settlement, some kind of anarchist colony, uh, and there was an epidemic of some kind of disease, it might still be necessary to quarantine the people who you know, are going to be uh, perhaps infecting others or contagious or something like that. Uh, uh, from what I've read about the pioneer settlements in colonial America and in early um, uh, early American history during the western expansion in the 19th century, this kind of thing was fairly common. where now, None of these people were anarchists, but they were going off and forming these kind of utopian religious colonies or they were doing things like just going moving westward because they wanted to, you know, they were looking for land or gold or something like that. So they would create these pioneer settlements, but then you would have outbreaks of illnesses because you know, again, this is 18th, 19th century. There's no vaccinations mm. and kind of stuff that we're familiar with. Uh, so, there, so, somebody would get smallpox, or tuberculosis, or polio, or whatever was going around, and they would have to quarantine people. Uh, in that way, uh, they just say, "Well, you just go over there and stay for a while or something." Um, and historically, uh, there were always leper colonies. Leprosy was a very contagious illness, uh, which is hardly a, you know even heard of today. Uh, although conditions in certain parts of the United States have gotten so bad, I've heard that it's actually coming back in, in Los Angeles and places like that. But it's uh, but uh, you always had leper colonies where it was okay. You have a sort of a separate community for people with leprosy. Uh, the uh, so I, I don't I, I don't I think I think that on a practical level, whether you had some sort of voluntary community, whether you had a state or whatever, if you have something where a disease is being spread contagiously, you're going to have to have some method of, of controlling that, whatever it would be. So I guess from an anarchist perspective, you would use freedom of association. Well, we're just not going to associate with people that have this kind of right. illness yeah. or whatever. Yeah,
2: because quarantine is when you isolate people who are sick. Mm-hmm. What is the word yeah. for it when you isolate people who are well? You
1: know, right. I mean, prison, you know, slavery. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see how all of this is unfolding. I I am not somebody that buys into a lot of the conspiracies I've seen going around about how the, the the virus doesn't really exist or it's uh something that somebody created for, you know, to as a plot for world domination or somebody somewhere was cooking up a bioweapon in a laboratory and it went crazy. Um I think a much more reasonable explanation is that if, it, again, historically we can see plenty of examples of contagious illnesses. Interestingly, a lot of them have originated from that the East Asian, South Asian region where this is believed to have come from. That was the case with the Spanish flu in 1918, if I know the history, if I understand the history of all that correctly. And I think there's a reason for that too. I think that's just a region of the world where there's so many people concentrated together. The population breeds contagious diseases, and plus, it's a, you know, there's a lot of poverty there. There's not a lot of preventative health care. A lot of the food preparation practices there are, are unsanitary, uh, and that's I think that's a, why you see contagious diseases coming from that part of the world, like SARS and like uh, coronavirus and all that. But uh, uh, yeah. and, uh and, it's, it's and
0: it's not uh, it's not uncommon for them to have cities that are you know that make LA look underpopulated.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Totally! Yeah, I mean, when you've got that many people concentrated together, and there's a lot of poverty and stuff like that, uh, a lack of sanitation. Um, I mean, we have to remember that China, outside the major cities, is still a third world country. You know, say, right? Uh, yeah, with, with billions of people. Um, yeah, and uh, the. Uh, so, so, I think that's you know a much more plausible explanation as far as the origins of the illness. But, um, but I do think some of the information we're getting is probably wrong. And I think when the final history of all this is written, we're going to see that a lot of not only mistakes were made, but also we just got lied to about a lot of things. Like right. I've been suspecting all along that a lot of people that are that are or have been diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Uh, Either don't have COVID nineteen or simply weren't tested. Uh, and sure enough, I saw an article in the Associated Press this morning uh, saying that apparently that's actually the case. That they uh, they were yes. doing things like claiming that people, you know, if somebody comes into the hospital with a heavy cough, shortness of breath. Okay, you have got COVID nineteen. Yes, I, I thought that was probably happening because they they used to do that with AIDS in the eighties and right. 90, when that became a big scare, they thought it was going to kill a third of the world's population. Uh, if someone, particularly in poor countries like in Africa, if somebody went into a clinic and they were underweight or you know had uh, you know the symptoms that were associated with what they called AIDS-defining diseases, they're like, "Yeah, you've got AIDS, whether they had an HIV test or not." And I suspect that's happening uh, now with coronavirus. You know, they're saying, "Okay, well, it looks like you yeah, right. have coronavirus." And I said, so, I'm, "I'm wondering if there's if there's only one virus. I'm wondering if if there are not multiple illnesses going around, some worse than others." And you know, perhaps resemble each other because you know the symptoms of oh, yeah. coronavirus and the flu and the cold, uh, you know, and, and allergies. You know, they all of those. The symptoms of all of those overlap yeah. with each other. And then, and then they're saying, well, coronavirus, eighty percent of the people who get it, uh, rec- you know, it's no big deal. It's just like the regular, a regular illness. And, but then, yeah. like something like statistically, one in fifty people it kills. Right. you know, probably yeah. a more plausible explanation is that there's just multiple illnesses going around i can't prove that yeah uh, i'm yeah. wondering about that well i've got well yeah up. i mean the, the,
2: you, yeah go on
0: so i was just going to say well you know i saw an article saying that the, that very thing you know where where have all the heart attacks gone where have all the, the, the where's all the pneumonia gone <laughs> um it's just dropped out because they're just diagnosing people with with covid um because I guess they just either don't have time or can't be bothered to right. to, to do a proper and, diagnosis, and they don't you know?
2: want to waste and they don't want to waste testing kits. So I guess yeah. I have got two points. The first one is briefly, although you say you know you don't believe in the conspiracies and things like that, um, government has at least two incentives to take the action it's taking. One is if they. Um, if they are risk, uh, they're risk, they risk averse, so they'll get blamed if there's a shitstorm, and um, things get get worse than they are. But also, it's it's uh it's like kind of like nine eleven, where it's an excuse for them to consolidate and um, their control over people. I mean, uh, but I think as you said, the there's people that. The charts show that there's been like almost no deaths from other respiratory diseases this year. So we're to believe that the other respiratory diseases have just like completely disappeared, or maybe anyone with any respiratory disease is getting diagnosed as having COVID-19. And and we also hear that anyone who dies with the virus is being counted as having died of the virus in hospitals you know to exaggerate you know you fall down the stairs but you happen to have COVID-19 and you die well then you died of COVID-19 not falling down the stairs but what I guess I want to ask both of you for your take on is these even supposing we accept that it is true and it's way Mm. blown out of proportion this is just completely hysteria even the virus itself like Way, way more people have had it than we know, therefore, the death count for people who have it is much, much, much lower than they're saying it is. That doesn't really get to the principle, which is, supposing it was much more dangerous than it is, would the government be justified in locking people down? if? to protect them from other people, you know, is that third party self defense, is the government, supposing it was like deadly, like Ebola, but it incubated in your body for three or four weeks. So um, it could easily be spread without people knowing, then, then what is the anarchist take on the lockdown? Supposing it is all it's cracked up to be or more serious than it's cracked up to be?
1: Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. It's like the question of if you live in a territory that's actually invaded by external invaders, is, is military conscription justifiable under a circumstance like that? You know, like David Friedman, if you've ever read his uh, Machinery of Freedom book, he, he talks about that, like under what circumstances would something like that be uh, justifiable? Uh, I, I tend to think that uh, no, in, a, in, a, in the situation that we currently have, I can't really say that the uh, lockdown that's happened uh, you know, all over the world uh, with varying degrees of extremes is something that the the state is necessarily justified in doing. Now, I think people are justified in you know modifying their own behavior, perhaps, to avoid catching a, a contagious illness. And I would say that other forms of association uh, would be justified in like let's say let's say for example, the grocery store, were to say okay we want all customers to stand six feet apart while they're in, in the checkout line mm-hmm. or something like that okay yeah I wouldn't have a problem with that uh but some of the stuff that I've seen going on where uh they're saying like some countries now you can't even go outside your house you're like um some of the uh, European countries I've been talking to people I know that live in some of the European countries and they say basically you can you know def- essentially get arrested or fined just for going outside you know like uh I mean, um, here in the states, we call that house arrest. That's what they do when they put you under house arrest. You have an ankle bracelet. Yeah. You can't go outside, or they take you to j- directly to jail. Uh, so basically, uh, some many parts of the world, in some parts of the United States, uh, they've essentially put the entire population under house arrest. You know, it's it's basically what in, in, in psychiatry is called involuntary civil commitment. You know, wow, it's, wow. uh yeah it's, it's so um i i'd be very hard pressed to say the state should have that kind of power under any circumstances um uh, the uh, and and some places like i know in uh, michigan we have this governor gretchen whitner who said that people can't buy uh garden tools from a, from a um from a retail store or something like that because it's not a it's not an essential product or something like so she's basically trying to impose wartime rations you know where you know a a war communism or something like lenin during the during the russian civil war uh so and uh, i think anthony nailed it a moment ago where he was saying that governments all over the world are using this as a pretext. For massive power grabs, Uh, we're seeing that here in the States in a big way. We're seeing the stimulus bill going on now in Congress that went through Congress. It's basically just a ruling class looting spree. And if you look at what's in it, yeah, there's some stuff to help normal people that are out of work and stuff like that. But mostly it's just massive corporate welfare. It's uh, just like what happened in 2008 when we had the recession. They did the same thing. Uh, this is this is that multiple times over. It's like it's like four times what that was in terms of the amounts of money involved. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, I see I see governments all over the world using this as a pretext for consolidating their own position. I, I see a lot of massive overreach that's beyond what could be considered reasonable when you, uh, as far as a medical quarantine. Uh, I, I also see you know power elites of different types going on a looting spree, basically looting the public treasury in various ways. Uh, I also see countries using this as an excuse for belligerence. I've seen the United States uh, ramp up its hostilities towards some other nations, like Iran and um, and Venezuela and some others during this. Uh during this crisis, and I, right. I would know some other states are probably doing the same thing. Uh, I haven't followed that as closely. Uh, from what I see going on in China, it looks like you know they they're going back to the, the almost like the Maoist level of totalitarianism or something like that. You know, they're hurting, they're walling up entire cities uh, under, under medical quarantine and things of that nature. Uh, I, you know, I've heard uh, I've heard of uh, situations where they're they're quarantining entire families together and stuff like that behind, uh, behind walls where they've actually built up walls around homes and things like that in China, so.
0: Yeah, they've welded them in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, you know, this is, you know, this is, uh, governments everywhere are trying to create a full blown police state. Uh, you know, what, what I think is most interesting, though, is that the countries that have been the most successful in controlling the epidemic are not necessarily the countries that have gone to these kinds of extremes. Uh, And uh, an example is some of the East Asian countries like South Korea, uh, uh, Taiwan, Singapore, some of those, some of those places what they have done, it varies from country to country, but what they've done is they haven't just shut down the entire society. What they've done is they've been more selective and more targeted. They've said, okay, well, people who have the illness are quarantined and, we we kind of, we trace their contacts and see who they've been exposed to and if, see if those people are sick and are uh, and they they've also encouraged people to wear surgical masks in those places which I think has probably been helpful as far as preventing the spread of illnesses generally but that's that's also something that's common in Asian culture like where I live a lot of times when it's allergy season out. I see a lot of Asian people wearing masks. They just wear a mask if there's gonna be uh, something in the atmosphere that can cause a respiratory problem, probably because in China and places like that, they have some terrible problems with pollution that, that enters into it, I'm sure. So culturally, that's just something they're not averse to. You know, whereas, I know when they started say, talking here about what well, people should wear a mask, I knew people that were saying, I'm gonna wear a mask. You know, it's, uh, so, you know, with you know, well, whatever, you know, but, uh, well, that's another thing, too, uh, that I've seen that's been interesting in the States is that if, for a long time they were saying, don't wear masks, don't wear a surgical mask or don't wear whatever mask. Then all of a sudden they did an about face and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. wear a mask, wear a mask. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, well, on I that-, they
1: were scared
0: that. I think they on. were scared uh, that there was going to be like a, a run on masks yeah and yeah. therefore people who were health professionals there's going to be a shortage and they wouldn't be able to get a hold of them i think that's what that was about i could be yeah. wrong but that's my that was, uh, I,
1: I think that was the rationale but i think but they basically just lied and said no masks yeah. don't really help you you know it's like i mean well, i mean a more rational approach would have been okay you know let the let the physicians and health professionals have the surgical mask but you know you lay people you know wear you know bandanas or something like, like banditos yeah. or whatever." Right.
2: And it seems like the mask's more effective from stopping people getting the virus from you than from stopping you from getting the virus. Uh, On that point that you said about the elites taking advantage of it, I got sent an article. If you want to know why progressives go crazy about inequality and millionaires and think that they're shafting everyone, it's because of stuff like this. Um, Well, at least it gives fuel to their fire. According to The Independent, millionaires receive $1.7 million in coronavirus relief as most taxpayers get $1,200 checks. Mm-hmm. So you've got all these things where they're using this, um, this uh, crisis to... everything's an excuse for rent seekers to rent seek. You know how they have that expression in hip-hop culture, haters gonna hate. Well, it's uh, rent seekers going to seek rent. Uh, Tom, yeah. do you have a perspective on supposing this crisis was as heinous or worse as uh, some people think, as uh, or could be? Uh, what's you? What do you think? What's your perspective on what would be a response to that?
0: Um. It's a difficult one, but I, I think in the long run, um, well, it, it, it's like we discussed with, with Dominic Frisby, uh last week, you know, if we're living in capistan An- An- you know, our you know, perfect sort of anarchist system, I think systems within that group would, would, would sort out of uh, itself, you know, if everybody's got private property and they can decide you're not coming on my property, you know, hippity-hoppity. Um, Private institutions, yeah, and you're going to have, let's say, there's you know, 20 different regions, and they're all within a within a what would normally be one single nation state, and they're all operating independently, and they've all got their own system of doing things. They're going to rap, you know, quite rapidly discover what's the the, the best and quickest and most effective way of dealing with the thing. Um, so I, I don't think. You know, government
2: yeah, and is I'd rarely, just, if
0: ever, the solution.
2: You know? just add I'd, to I'd, that. I just
0: I'm, I'm extremely disturbed by the way things are going with the, the lockdown. It's very easy, as I've said before, to put on these restrictions. It's not so easy uh, taking them back off again. And I'm I'm... The next thing I'm looking for, I'm wondering if we're going to go cashless because if somebody decides right. that handing you know cash around is some sort of way of passing on this virus, then they could say, okay, we're going to, there's, there's no more we're not going to use cash anymore for the foreseeable future. We're just going to use uh, electronic payments. Mm-hmm. And most people would say, well, I'll do that anyway, but they, they what they don't people don't seem to realize is when you go cashless, completely cashless, it's game over in terms of personal privacy. You know, you, you have no other way of conducting business uh, than electronically. Then the government knows every single thing that you're doing, and it's yeah, the usual crime. You say, well, if you're not you're doing, doing anything wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, forget it. Yeah
2: yeah forgetting
0: yeah. that what is that's nebulous in a, in a police state what, well then what why wrong? why does
2: the why does the government have any secrets or any you know why are the government allowed to pass any secret documents or anything like that if they're not doing anything wrong we should be able to know what our government's doing you never apply that to the well, government i'd also add to that if it was regional if the response was regional And you don't like the fact that your region's on lockdown, you know, you can go and stay with your sister, you know, in the next neighboring region where they've not got, where they're not on lockdown. And that'll give people, it's not exactly the same as if you don't like it, you should move
1: to Somalia. But, (laughs) well, we've actually had some experience with that here in the States because we've got 50 states, you know, it's a big country and we've got 50 states, but different states have actually responded to this differently. Uh, you yeah. have some states that have become basically a full-on police state, like Michigan, and then you have others that you know have almost practically ignored this. Uh, and it's it's based on differences in terms of how um, how many cases they had, and uh, if some of the more uh, sparsely populated areas of the United States, they haven't really had that many cases of this. And some of those states, at least until recently didn't really have the shelter-in-place order, whereas other places like Michigan and, and uh, parts of California and some other places, it's, you know, it's, it's like martial law, basically. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we do have some experience with that. And, and people are actually protesting now. There's actually yeah. been protests yeah. in a lot of different places uh, over some of the more excessive and more extreme uh, restrictions that have been uh, put into place. Yeah.
2: It's a nice euphemism. Well, those those that people shelter just clearly in place.
1: want people
0: to die. Right? You know? yeah, <laughs> they want people to die. That's what. That's what's wrong with those people.
2: Yeah, you <laughs> just want protesting. old people to die, and it's like, well, yeah, I do want old people to die, but quite
1: apart from that, I disagree with the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I like well, that. It's, it's, uh, well, another thing that's been amusing to watch here in the U.S. is that how the the political parties and the politicians have gone crazy trying to blame each other for this. It's uh, you know like the, the the Democrats keep saying, "Well, Donald Trump didn't act soon enough," or or then uh, and then the uh, you know Republicans will turn around and point out, "Well, the." Uh, and the, the public uh, health commissioner of New York, you, we actually have videos of her from say uh, as recently as March or February saying, well, just go outside and, you know, do your own thing. Don't worry about it. You know, it's just where the, the virus yeah. worst now. Uh, and then Dr. Fauci, the uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, you know, he's become this national celebrity hero because he's the, you know, the, the, uh, he's the guy in the States that's uh, the head of Trump's you know medical team that's watching over this or yeah. whatever. Uh, he's from the National Institutes of Health. But but as recently as I think February, he was saying this wasn't going to be any big deal in the United States. Uh, yeah. It was video of him saying that. Well, one thing about Fauci, though, while, while I'm talking about him, is uh, I remember him from the 80s going on television because uh, he's been around for decades and I remember him in the 80s going on television talking about how AIDS was going to be this massive epidemic and, and kill people all over the world. There's going to be by, like the bubonic plague and stuff like that um, and so he was fueling the, the uh, HIV AIDS hysteria back in the 80s and now he's fueling the coronavirus hysteria. Um, and uh, you know, he—he, he, I remember he used to say that well, AIDS wasn't really a lifestyle disease. You couldn't really prevent it, you know, by through lifestyle issues and things like that. I mean, well, Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, just don't shoot dope and stuff like that. You know, it's like don't yeah. have unprotected sex. You know, I mean, it's so, uh, and so, and and since then, HIV and, and AIDS in the developed world, at least, has largely been confined to high risk groups. It never really did spread out into the, you know, the general public like they used to say it was going to. Um, Oh yeah,
0: I mean, I think with AIDS, as I recall, when when that scare happened, they um, they were keen to to make because for whatever reason they they, they assumed that people weren't going to they say oh it's, what, it's it's just faggots that are dying oh that's okay um, you know there was a lot of that going on sure. so they, they tried to to um, ramp it up when it came to. You know, heterosexuals saying like, "No, this, 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 affects heterosexuals uh, as well," and right. uh, you know, then that way we'll get funding. That way we'll take it seriously. Um, I, I can kind of understand that, but yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah. Well, but mainly well, well, it was uh, drug drug users and and
1: homosexuals who were prone to it. Yeah, and, and also back then people were saying you could get AIDS from toilet seats and you could you know get it from blood and uncooked meat and stuff like that. You know, it was a lot of crazy things they, they were saying.
0: That. Yeah, there was even rumors that you could, if you had tuberculosis and you had AIDS, you could cough up the, the, the uh-huh. virus into the right. air and it would right. be right. airborne for oh, X Jesus. amount of hours. Yeah, there yeah. was all that going on. I think I even subscribed to that one for a while.
2: Right well, I mean, one of the things that bothers me is there 's not even hint in the media of a genuine cost benefit analysis of all this. I mean, we have here a piece on a website called the Off Guardian that says the avoidable deaths due to lockdown it estimates them at two point two five million that 's two and a quarter million and to be honest we don 't really know how this lockdown is going on i mean I just uh, jumped in an uber and you know it's ruining these people. It's 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 ruining yeah. uh, business owners, um people who've saved, Lord knows who it's gonna ruin, people losing their jobs. Yeah. And there's no even discussion of well, you know, where um how does this balance up in the mainstream media? Yeah. It's just no, no, oh no, we got you're to absorb
0: immediately yeah. if you do that. Got to you know. You're attacked vociferously. And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And the, as you know, Anthony, as you're fond of saying, our friend uh, Bastia, there is what is seen and there is what is unseen. And it's easy to go, off, oh, even if it were true that you know that it was beneficial, the lockdown in terms of uh, not spreading the virus, there's all sorts of other factors. It's, you know, The lockdown in of itself may be extremely bad for some people's health. You know, there are people who are living in... Situations maybe where they're in domestic violence situations. There are people who just maybe don't like being alone. Uh, you know that loneliness in of itself can be a killer. There are all sorts of uh, secondary and tertiary um, situations that can develop just from the lockdown itself. And it's it's almost impossible mm. to get some sort of intelligent debate mm. going on it because you're you're just shut down immediately.
2: It's yeah, like,
1: it's, it'll uh, be well, interesting
2: uh, to look at the the GDP figures for countries at the end of the year during this year and see how much um, wealth was not created.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, another thing too is that um, I, I, I imagine it's really harmed people with other medical conditions uh, because yeah. so, much, so much resources have been de- devoted to... Uh, to COVID-19, to, you know, either treatment or prevention or whatever, I've read about how they're delaying uh, surgeries for people, they're delaying cancer treatments, you know, all, all kinds of things. Uh, so in many ways, the medical uh, industries come to a, a halt as well, because all the the emphasis is on this, you know, it's, uh, and what you are saying about the mental health too, it's like, Whenever there's economic deterioration, there's there's always an increase in suicides and drug addiction and overdoses and alcoholism, all those kinds of things. So we're we're likely to see an increase in all that. Um, There's uh, you know you, you were mentioning the domestic violence and all that kind of stuff while people are under lockdown. Uh, And with poverty, when poverty uh, increases, crime increases, so it's going to be more robberies and murders, you know, as far as the aftermath of all of this. Uh, So, uh, you know, I suspect the long term economic effect of this is going to be terrible. It's uh, they can't just. Yeah, way worse than the viruses, so. Yeah, well, they can't, they can't, they're not going to just say, okay, the virus is over now, so everybody go back to work, reopen your business. It's not going to work like that. I mean, you've already got people now that are behind on their rents and mortgages and yeah. you know, payments of all, you know, debts and liabilities of all kinds. You've got businesses that aren't going to be able, able to reopen. Uh, you've got people that are going to be out of work because whatever business they, work, went, uh, they worked for went under while this was going on. Uh, and then the, that's going to have a ripple effect throughout the entire economy. I mean, it's probably going to destroy the, the restaurants and bars and, uh, you know, entertainment related businesses and and, and, re- and retail and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, it's going to have a long term uh, devastating effect. Uh, you know, in addition to people that aren't making payments on cars and, and aren't paying utility bills. Like here in the States, a lot of places they're putting up a hold on some of that, where they're saying, okay, well, you know, they they can't turn off your utilities for 60 days while this is going on, or, you know, they can't evict you for for, uh, two months or something like that. But all that debt is still accumulating. They're not just saying, well, you don't have to pay, you know, they're they're saying that, uh, okay, well, this is over, then you can pay. So all these people, uh, all these unemployed people, you know, all these people who haven't worked for months that the jobs they had don't exist anymore because that business went under while this was going on. Uh, so all these folks are now f- faced with owing you know three months or whatever, or six months or whatever it's going to be of back rent and back utility bills and back car payments. It's, uh, so then they're all going to file for bankruptcy. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to have a really negative. Uh, yeah. It's, the, the strange
0: thing about that is, that, yeah, how do you then wean people off of that Addiction, because you get you you staying at home. You're getting some people are getting you know two thirds of what they would normally earn, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's pretty good. I mean, because you, you may even be just earning as much money because you don't have to you don't have to travel to work. That's you don't that. have to spend money on that. You don't have to spend money in some taking care of your kids while you go to work. So it might even out. You go well, you know, even though I'm only earning two thirds of what I would do going to work. I'm not going to work, so I'm just enjoying you know, sitting in the house and I'm getting two-thirds of my wages. How do you then take that away from people again? It's like giving people crack cocaine for three months
1: yeah. and then
0: saying, okay, now we're going to take the crack cocaine off you. It's like, it doesn't quite work like that.
1: Well, I think another thing, though, is uh, I think when they start reopening the economy, a lot of people are going to be afraid to go back to work because, you know, we've heard this virus thing hype to the nth degree where if you step outside your house, you're going to get the virus and die. So people aren't Mm -hmm. going to want to go back to work. They're going to think it's not safe. They're going to think, well, no, I can't take the train to work. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna go to if I work in a store, I'm not gonna go back to work in a store and have people coming in and you know, handling their money and stuff like that. You know, so it's uh yeah. a lot of people are gonna be afraid to go back to work. It's you know this climate of, of uh climate of fear. Well we yeah. were
2: told that but especially whole-
1: in a in a, especially
0: in an election, I mean like you've got an election coming Uh-oh. up. Trump doesn't wanna lose that one. Um how do, you, how do you tell all the people that you're giving bailouts to that the money's, you're going to cut off the money and then yeah. get elected? You know, So they could, I can see them extending these bailouts until after the election's over, whenever that is, at least.
1: Well, another thing that's been interesting while we're on that topic is since this has happened here in the States, the, the Republicans, who were supposedly the right-wing party, they've actually moved yeah. to the left of the Democrats yeah. on a lot of the, these kinds of things. Uh, you, you see, you've seen a lot of Republicans now come out for things like the universal basic income and, and, Jesus. and yeah. extending all these kinds of uh, things. Whereas I know the, someone uh, who
2: wrote a great book
1: about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, uh, but the, but meanwhile, it's the Neo, these, uh, these neoliberal types that run the, the democratic party. Now they've re- repositioned themselves as the conservative party. You know, it's, uh, on some of this stuff, you know, it's, um, so yeah. there's, I mean, there's a lot of different dynamics that go into it. A lot of the, some of the Republicans represent really poor uh, regions of the United States that are socially very conservative. They're very religious and, and, you know, they're against abortion and they're against uh, gay marriage and things like that, but they're also yeah. really poor. So they, they're hit, this is hitting them hard you know, economically. Yeah. So it's, so they're taking this kind of a more populist approach to the economic questions
2: well we Admin. were t- we were told that the point of the lockdown is to flatten the curve and that um it's not going to reduce the number of all overall deaths but it's going to stop the hospitals from getting overwhelmed and you know picking up on something you were saying before with people who've got other conditions that can't be treated because of those regulations that say oh you can't you know non necessary treatments are not allowed some of the hospitals have got beds that they can 't fill because they' they 're not treating people for other things so the the real guidance of when the lockdown should be um loosened off if you accept the official line should be linked to hospital capacity and things like that and I think um, there, there's it's interesting because the CDC for what they 're worth out a report recently saying that the likely death toll is going to be in inverted commas much 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 less than originally thought now that's interesting an official document using the word much three times and it's like Well, you know, thanks very much. You could have fucking told us that before you destroyed all our lives by putting us out of a job. Thanks
1: very much, much, much. Yeah, yeah. yeah, The uh, they were last I heard they were saying that the estimated death total was going to be, I think, one quarter of what they initially thought it was, or something like that. Yeah, amazing. So,
2: anything else to add before we start to wrap up? Because we'll be going on an hour before long.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's, what I think is interesting is just how much information we've been given that's probably gonna turn out to be wrong. I I think that's something that's interesting to contemplate because, you know, this thing starts and and they're saying it's no big deal. Then they're saying, no, it's a terrible epidemic and and, uh, we've gotta shut everything down. And then they're saying, well, don't wear a mask, that's not gonna help. And then they are doing about face on that. And then they're saying, well, no, actually the number of people who are gonna die is actually gonna be much less than what we thought as well. So who knows what the final history of this is going to be. I suspect that when the final history of this is written, it's going to be, uh, we're going to see that either a lot of people really screwed up or a lot of people just flat out lied about a lot of things. Uh, I know that the the Chinese, the Chinese, I think have been lying about the number of cases they've had. I think they've, uh, I think, I think it's a lot of the Western countries they've exaggerated this, whereas the the Chinese are probably under um, under, claimed it yeah well they, they
0: they locked up they locked up doctors for um for, yeah. for even mentioning it you know for they, they they locked them up that's that that's incredible and, well, and because it's yeah. interesting to me to see um uh you know people in the west playing down china's yeah. uh, responsibility in this you know we'll go after the orange man because he's bad we'll go <laughs> after boris johnson because he's bad but don't say anything against China for welding people in their houses or yeah. locking yeah. up doctors, you know, for months ago, uh, you know, alerting the Chinese authorities to this, but just simply because this will make us look bad uh, if if we let this get out. It, it's extraordinary.
2: It's, and it's 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 quite an interesting case study that illustrates the difference in incentive between a dictatorship and a democracy, right? when you've got a dictatorship if you're the monarch or whatever it is if things go badly then it reflects badly on you so you want to massage the figures and make them look good um, so that that no one says oh this guy this dictator is doing a terrible job we should depose him for his from his throne Um, So you want to hush hush everything up, whereas under democracy, it's like you want to be super, super cautious in case things get any worse because, you know, that's your... That's your incentive, so you want to tell people that it's worse than it is, rather than better than it is, so that you scare them into staying the fuck home. You know, I see a lot of people on Facebook with a banner under their profile picture saying "Protect the NHS, Stay the fuck at home," and they u- even use the expletive because it's so edgy and stuff like that. Right, right. Uh, at least they like to think they're edgy. I think that they're um, they're like robot radicals. They're buying the official line, thinking that they're edgy. Well,
0: just. I mean, this could catch on. I mean, why don't we just spare the NHS any further burden by just don't, just don't stay the fuck away from your doctor if you're sick. You know, don't bother that man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't want your doctor to get the the virus, right? Yeah.
0: right. Well, precisely, or, or anything, you know, your ingrown toenail or whatever. You know, the guy's got better things to do. He's got golf to play. You know, he's got after dinner speaking to do. He doesn't want to be, you know, treating your goddamn ingrown toenail. But that's what it's been like. It's been like, we, you know, you you've got an ingrown toenail. Therefore, we're going to cut your leg off. Hey, right. it's cured your ingrown toenail. You know, yeah, but I've got no, I've got no leg. You know, so I, I think that's what it's going to be. They're going to turn and say, yeah, well, you know, we 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 stopped the coronavirus in its tracks. Yeah, but look at all this other shit that, that's, that, that's came out of that. So th- I think Anthony was right when he talked about the cost-benefit analysis. But as soon as you mention cost of the economy, people like, oh, you care about, you know, you care about money more than you care about lives.
1: and all this horse shit. So it's- <laughs> well, material interests, though, affect health. I mean, that, that's the connection. Of course. Yeah. Well, I think Anthony nailed it just now. Uh, it is an interesting case study. In fact, we could even go back and look at uh, Plato and uh, Aristotle's descriptions of different forms of governments and how they work and things like that. And we do see that in countries where it's a one party state or a dictatorship, uh, the, the monarch, you know, because I mean, Xi Jinping and people like that are really just modern, absolute monarchs or like yeah. the god emperors like the ancient world. Uh, they they have this incentive to make everything look like it's perfect. They have to the, create this illusion that there's no problem. In fact, North Korea. I mean, how many uh, cases of COVID nineteen have we heard coming out of North Korea? You know, it's uh, they're, they're probably. Yeah. Kind of, I haven't followed them, but I imagine they're probably claiming they don't have any. You know, and maybe they so, don't because everyone it, really is under under lockdown. It's possible. Yeah. But uh, but then with the democracy, you know, where it's like Plato said, democracy invites the rule of the demagogue, who inflames the passions of the of the masses. That's exactly what we see going on now. You know, we see these politicians yeah. that that are not health experts in any way. Uh, you know the all, and we see them uh, tell, you know, inflaming the public, saying, "Oh, you know, if you go outside, you're going to get a deadly disease." Uh, and 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 people, of course, are buying that because you know the, yeah. the so. That's but, but they're
2: technocrats. You know, they think they know better than everyone else because they've got an up, above average IQ and they got a decent postgraduate degree. So they think that they're well positioned to know the truth about everything and um, command the rest of us rubes around. You know, they want to do our thinking for us because they're more intelligent than we are. That's yeah. why they but go into not- office.
1: And they're not even letting dissenting points of view in the medical field be heard either. Um, no. I mean, like in, here in the States, the people that Trump is listening to or just happen to be the people who are around him, the ones that just happen to hold high-ranking positions in the National Institutes of Health and things like that, But those aren't the only yeah. points of view. I mean, there's other points of view that, are, that dissent from a lot of that. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, That's me. Do you have anything to add, Tom?
0: Uh, I was only going to ask one thing of Keith uh, before we we wind up, and it's not COVID-related, or it could be. I mean, um, I wondered if he knew, if he'd heard anything about the the anarchist commune in Rojava, because the the last information I got was that Turkey had invaded them or something like that, or Turkey had at least invaded some part of the Rojava area. But it's, it's just an area we don't get to hear much about. And I just wondered if you knew anything about that, Keith.
1: Uh, I haven't followed that closely in recent times. I'm not sure what's happening there. Uh, the last that I heard, did hear about that was more or less what you're saying is that the the, the Turks have you know, launched a full scale invasion of Syria now, as have announced, or at least those those particular regions, the Kurdish yeah. regions of Syria. Uh, and so I imagine that things are, are getting a bit rough for the uh before uh, Rojava, but I, I I would have to go back and, and look into that some more and see what kind of information has been circulating. So I don't really know. But it's a great question. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really need to look into that. See, see what's going on.
0: Yeah, it would be a great shame. I know there was a small protest here in the UK um, when the when the Turks did that, but it it there was it was under the radar. Nothing was very little reportage in the press. Uh, in the, in the, either in the, the TV media or in the written in the, in the newspapers, nothing. But I, I I managed to find something about it on the internet, and it, it's a great shame because it looked like they were a, they were making a great success of that commune.
1: Yeah, yeah. I tend to lean towards the view that the Turks nowadays are the real bad guys in Central Asia, or they're going to be yeah. in the future. You know, a lot of people say it's the Russians. I tend to think it's probably going to be the Turks. I, I yeah, see Iran yeah. as as somebody that essentially wants to restore the Ottoman empire. Right. Yeah.
2: And it's a shame because Turkey obviously was one of the countries that was the most uh, modernized and doing well economically uh, compared to some of its neighbors in the past. Mm -hmm. Well, Keith Preston from attack the com. If you don't know, he is one of the world's premier academics of anarchism, historians of anarchism, um, clarifiers of thinking on anarchism of all strokes and if you like Keith's appearance you should definitely check out the previous four or five shows that we've done with him in our podcast feed thanks very much for joining us once more all right